Bases loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God. Deep to right field. Way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk-off home run. Grand Hello and welcome in everyone to episode 129 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight, I am joined by George. George, at Roto underscore Nino. What's going on, buddy? What's up, man? How you doing? Living the dream. First podcast in the new house. I apologize if there's an echo. I realize this room has a little bit of one. I'm going to have to figure that one out. I already looked into some uh, some of those those foam pads to put on the walls to help absorb it and stuff. But it's weird, man. I, I have a house now. I'm a homeowner. That's awesome, man. Yeah, congrats. congrats. <laughs> Thanks, dude. It's still that's weird. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a dude. I I am doing much better now than I have been doing in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I had been dealing with uh, something called uveitis in my eye, uh, which was the worst pain I've ever experienced. Uh, I thought it was pink eye for a few days, and then uh, it started to feel like my eye was going to explode. So, turns out it's uveitis. It was inflammation, and oh my god, dude, I didn't sleep for days, but. Uh, luckily I just, I got that looked at and diagnosed and now it's getting taken care of. So I'm good now, but yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you, was... you were, you were pretty much on the IL and I was between moving and then I didn't realize how much actually went into moving it, like after the move. I've been so busy, so it's been crazy, but I'm glad we get to talk baseball. And yes. instead of, instead of continuing our positional things, which we're going to get back to the positional stuff for sure, but it's, it's December 1st. We're jumping into ADP. There's already been 29 drafts in NFBC, so we're transitioning from the too early mock ADP to the to the NFBC ADP anyway. And tonight, you probably know by the title if you clicked on this podcast, is uh, we're going to discuss early round busts. And I like to make sure we understand what at least the bust means to us. To me, I, I can speak for myself, and I think George might agree. Well, I'll let him speak for himself. But for me, a bust is simply this. It's not necessarily a player that's going to make you lose a league. It's not necessarily a player that's going to be completely bad. It's just a player that I think won't return on investment, a player that you're taking at his peak value that he has to perform pretty much to above expectations or or meet expectations, which is really hard for a player to do, especially considering the expectations of the player. They have to meet or exceed them. And – where you're taking them, it's going to be hard for them to do that because you're taking them at what I perceive to be their max value. So that's a long way of saying they won't return on investment essentially. But is is that similar to how you view a bust? Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty spot on to how how I would view a bust. Um, another way I kind of look at it is like, you know, am I being inefficient with this pick? Am I taking someone, you know, at this point that where like. You know, I can get their stats later or, um, yeah, pretty much similar to how you said, like, what's going to be the return on, on that investment that you're making at, at that pick? And is that player going to, you know, give you a, a profit at that point? Uh, are they going to meet those expectations or is it something that you can just take later on? So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty spot on. And before we get to that, we have some news and notes, man. I mean, baseball... The offseason is a little slow moving, but we have a big piece of news tonight. The Twins have placed Eddie Rosario on outright waivers, likely leading him to be non-tendered. Projected to make $9.6 million this year in arbitration, and he's only not 29 years old. you got to think he gets claimed. I do. 
if you had to guess he gets claimed, obviously I think you agree he will. Where do you think he lands? Oh man. Uh, now it, it seems like the, the twins did this to, you know, kind of do them the favor of, you know, if, if a team claims them, he can make that, that money um, rather than trying to negotiate a new contract in, you know, right now, what seems to be a really uh, bad market for those that those mid tier uh, level players, but I don't. The first thing, the first team that comes to mind for me is, is in the same division, the White Sox. You, you put him there at right field uh, instead of uh, Nomar Mazzara, and man, I just I, I would love that. That's the first team that I think of that you know could be going all in uh, this upcoming season and and adding Eddie Rosario, who's still you know a, a really good player. Uh, with with the bat, I, I I think that'd be a good fit. I don't know. What do you think? That's very interesting. I didn't. They the White Sox didn't cross my mind because for some reason the Red Sox did, and you just keep hearing the Red Sox linked to all these players. The Red Sox, another player coming up here. Actually, the next one on our news, the Red Sox are linked to because I I think I've read where the Red Sox want to be a little competitive. Well, if you if you want to be competitive but not break the bank, which the Red Sox, you know, we they they sold off. Mookie, Mookie bets to not have to pay them type of thing. This is the type of move that makes sense to them. They need the offense. They could. They need everything. You go out and get a guy like Eddie Rosario. You can put him right in the middle of your lineup, and it's an automatic boost on both sides of the ball, pretty much for this team. And it's going to cost them pretty much nothing, considering it's the Red Sox. So if you if you see this team wanting to compete, and if Snell's truly on the market, and you know the Rays are kind of playing their games. The Rays might not be as competitive as we want them to be next year if they're willing to try off pieces, which I don't understand. Just makes no sense, man. But anyway, it's a whole other discussion. My point being, though, is though I think the Red Sox make a lot of sense, even though to a lot of people he they might not. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, that is, that's interesting for sure. Because again, it goes right back into our next piece of news and notes, where the Red Sox the Red Sox are showing interest in Corey Kluber. If he goes to the Red Sox, again, it's like another – there's just like that – it's like the Red Sox can use any starting pitching. We know that. They were they were trotting out Martin Perez every fifth game last year. <laughs> so, I mean, that tells you that they need starting pitching. Kluber's obviously past his prime. But what would you expect, if anything, from Corey Kluber um, going into 2020, 2021? I have, to, I have to get used to that one. Going into 2021, right now he has an ADP of 238. And he's going around the likes of Nate Pearson, Jordan Montgomery, and Jamison Tyone. Do you think he belongs there? Is that a little low for him? Do you like his value? Is he more of a team build type of guy for you? Uh, I'm probably not touching him there at that ADP. Uh, I did actually draft him in one of those NFBC 12-team uh, draft and holds, uh, but it was he fell like in the 300s. It was like the mid-300s. And so I was I was kind of fine taking a shot on him there. But outside of that, you know, I just really don't know what to expect. I mean, he he threw one inning this last season. He threw only 35 the previous season. It, it, it's hard. It's really hard uh, really to know what to expect from Kluber at this point. Uh, you look at the steamer projections. They have him for a 4.04 ERA in 148 innings, uh, right around a strikeout per inning. I mean, if that's what he does, then that that's great. He's he's going to be a value, but just with the injuries and just the all the missed time over the last couple of years, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's there's plenty of other guys I'm going to take a chance on before I do uh, on Kluber. I think you hit the nail on the head pretty good with Kluber. I think 12-team mix leagues and shallower are the leagues that gamble on them. 15-teamers, yeah. your deeper formats, 
there's less wiggle room to make to kind of play that game because you start ADP. And again, I actually didn't name this one, but Marcus Stroman is a name I'd rather take a shot on this year. He's, you know, he's not coming off an injury. Sure, he had a lost year. Technically, he came off an injury, but he had a lost year. But he's, I know he's working with one of those camps, not driveline, but the other one. Dakota, no, I forget the name. I always forget the name of it. But Strowman's working on with one of those camps this offseason, which could help his increase his velocity or change something that for the better. So I'm really intrigued by Strowman. Um, another guy I kind of like is Michael Kopech. He's a guy I might want to take a shot on over Kluber. Again, this depends if Kopech's giving him a chance to pitch out out of the um out the gate. And then of course, like James Paxton, he might land somewhere favorable. And you got to think he's probably put up similar innings and he pitched more than Kluber and is younger than Kluber. Uh, so again, I, I agree. It's kind of a tough spot for Kluber, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I just don't know if I can take him at the price, but again, shallower formats allow you to take that gamble for sure. Moving on a guy near and dear to your heart, George, Mike Miner signed <laughs> a two year, signed a two year deal, deal with the Royals with a club option for 2023. ADP of 353. So he's basically free for in, in for in most drafts that people are having. Is he more of a streaming option in, in your shallower mixed leagues? Is he a guy you're taking as a back end last round pick just to kind of see if this works out for him? It's a good pitcher's park. The vision can be a little tough, but he gets to face the Tigers and that's oh, and the Indians are pretty bad. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, pretty much kind of just a streamer right now. The, the concern, I, I mean, I. I was a big, uh, big minor guy over the last couple of years, but there was a concern about his velo, you know, coming into 2020, and we saw that, you know, we saw how that affected him. Ended up with a 5.56 ERA, uh, was in and out of the rotation after going over to to Oakland, and so I don't know, I I don't see him much more than than a streamer. I, I think the one thing you can count on there with the Royals is that he's he's going to have to eat innings. Uh, so he will get innings, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't have all that much interest in minor. Yeah, I'm not really interested either. Fifteen teamers, I don't mind taking him where he's going because he, you know, you're getting innings, and that's kind of like in your drafting holds. You mentioned drafting holds; that's a good format for him because you're getting those innings. But other than that, I have very little interest. But I'm sure he'll be a streamer from time. He will get some really juicy matchups. A piece of news I found very interesting. We don't have to spend too much time on this. Is um, Isaiah Ki- uh, Kiner Falefa? He actually looks like he may supplant Elvis Andrews as the starting shortstop in twenty twenty one. I mean, Elvis Andrews hasn't really done much to deserve the be- to be you know deserve being the starting shortstop. But people might not realize Kiner Falefa Falefa, excuse me, put up eight stolen bases, three home runs, has a solid hit tool, doesn't strike out a lot, oh, hits for a decent average, like. He could be again deeper league, mixed league valuable, or uh, value, have some value there. But if he actually has catcher eligibility, he's like a top five fantasy catcher if he still carries that eligibility into other leagues this year. I know like NFBC doesn't have him as a catcher, but you might maybe Yahoo will, maybe ESPN will. So know your league, understand how they're going to do position eligibility because he had it last year entering the season, and some places might let that roll over. So just know. His eligibility, because his eligibility, if he's a catcher, he's automatically a huge value where you can get him. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I know he didn't play any catcher this last season. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just going to depend on, you know, if your league carries that eligibility over from 2019. I, I know he did play third base and shortstop last season. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I, 
in a in a deep league, yeah, he he is interesting. He does he did improve, you know, that that hit tool a lot last last year. I know he made some changes going into spring and you know, he was hitting the ball really well, carried over into the season, you know, hitting 280 and the, those three homers did will steal some bases, uh had eight steals. So, he might be interesting uh as a deep uh you know, maybe corner or or middle option, but that's probably got to be in your deepest of leagues. I, I think most of his value, care, you know, is from that catcher eligibility. And if he, if he loses that, uh, I probably won't have much uh, Kiner Falefa in 2021. Well, his ADP is 326, so it's a fair price. Would you rather have Kiner Falefa? I keep calling it Falefa. It's Kiner Falefa. Would you rather have Kiner Falefa or Ahmed Rosario? Uh. <laughs> They're going about ten picks apart. Yeah, I, I think I'd still, I'd still rather have Rosario. Oh, sorry, twenty picks apart. Uh, who's the? I was looking for a name. Oh, the. Uh, why can't I think of his name right now? You know what? It doesn't matter. We can move on. It's not a. It's not a must talk about topic. I don't want to. Yeah. Come on. It. Oh, here's the name. The interesting. Yeah. I found the name. The interesting sorry. thing is who's gonna play third base. I, I think that for for me when reading, you know, that Andrews is gonna be on the bench and Kiner Falefa is gonna take over at. At shortstop, uh, I mean, who who plays third base in, in that instance? Do they bring Josh Jung up, or uh, you know, early on? Uh, I wish. If Nick Solak doesn't work out at second base, which I know he's, uh, I saw a report today that it's really going to depend on his defense. Uh, can he play some third base and maybe pick up, you know, third base eligibility? So yeah, I don't know. It, it who plays third base? Uh, uh, yeah. That makes sense, though. Maybe they move Solak to third, Odor back to second, type of thing. They do have Eli White, who's on the who's on the projected roster. I like some of their young guys coming up, but you can't bank on that. Maybe they sign somebody. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot. That's another thing about drafting early. It's very very risky because mm-hmm. some of these teams, like the like, you wouldn't expect the Rangers to be big time players, but a lot of teams aren't being very aggressive. So that leaves teams like the Rangers and obviously the Royals to go ahead and make these moves and be a little more aggressive on the, you know, on signing players. And the player I was trying to think of, if you would you rather was Luis Arias going about 40 picks later. Would you rather have these uh, Kiner Falefa or Luis Arias for your middle infield spot in a deep league? Oh man. Um, I think I would go Arias uh, at that point, just because I, the team team context around him, he's going to give you, you know, he's going to give you a really good batting average, probably score uh, a bunch of runs. I don't see very much more than, you know, maybe ten and ten from from Arias uh, as far as home runs and, and stolen bases. If that, um, I, I think he's kind of just one of those, you know. One-dimensional kind of producers. He, he's a batting average only kind of guy. So, I don't know. Um, I still think I'd rather take him over Falefa, though. Gotcha. And um, a couple pieces of news, real quick. Tommy Pham. He required he required surgery to repair a torn cartilage structure in his left wrist. He's he is already lifting weights and able and has improved his grip strength and is running. However, he is coming off a hammy bone injury in August, a stabbing in October, and now this. What are your thoughts on Fam? His early ADP is 116. Are you willing to take a chance on him, or are all these injuries piling up plus the age? What is he like, 31 or 32 at this point? Um, concerning to you, and more or less somebody you might want to avoid? Yeah, so he's going to be 33 uh, going into 
next season. Uh, he turns 33 in early March. Yeah, he, he's just kind of someone that I'm I'm avoiding too. I mean, just all, all the injuries piling up and everything that's going on right now. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens tomorrow if he's uh, if he's non-tendered. Uh, if he doesn't have a team, I mean, that that definitely throws just another question mark there with Tommy Pham. So uh, I'm not all that in on, on him unless he falls significantly. I think his ADP right now is like in the about 114 or so in uh, NFBC. Uh, perhaps if he falls like around 150 or later, uh, might take a chance there. But otherwise, no, I'm, I, I just think that uh, just the age and all the injuries, I'm probably not not very interested in him where he's going right now. I'm kind of in that mindset as well. I mean, I love the talent, love the player at this point, but he just seems to not being able – the health. The health is just a concern. I was a guy that was trying to defend him last year, but not the case this year. I think I'm going to let him go to someone else's team and be willing to pass on the high floor – Unless, I mean, he would be a guy, maybe like a fallback towards that later 100 area. If I miss on steals, then he's a guy I'm going to settle for because you're never know going to get your steals. But that's about it. And the last piece of news, because now that we've talked about news for about 15 minutes, <laughs> George Springer has continued to be targeted by the Mets. Not really a surprise. But what I want your thoughts on this fit and overall his fantasy value. Do you just Is it better, worse, or would you say it's about the same? Um, I'd say it's about the same. I mean, we already liked his team context before when he was with the Astros. And I don't really see him at all any differently than I did going into 2020. I, I was just, I was a big fan uh, of him going into the year. And uh, it's pretty clear what happened. You know, it's pretty clear that he kind of got unlucky in the short season. You see the BABIP way down. But, I mean, the strikeout rate was, was great. You know, 17.1%. Uh, still hit 14 home runs. Uh, in 51 games, uh, ended up hitting 265. You know, so uh, for for me, I'm, I'm still I still like George Springer. He's going later now than he was going last season. So I, I like that. I, I think you're getting you know 270. Steamer has him for 270, 33 home runs, seven stolen bases. I think that's pretty spot on. I think that's what you're going to get. And if he's there with the Mets, if he ends up signing with the Mets, you know that that lineup could be one of the best in baseball. Uh, so I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. And we'll see if if, uh, you know, when he does sign, if his price does go back up to, uh, you know, 10 to 15 picks where we were seeing him last year. Right now he's going like around 60. So and I'm comfortable taking him there. Yeah. And I I like uh, George Springer a lot. The only concern would be is that he's moving to a new division pitchers he's never seen before that. So I can understand some of the maybe the knock in the batting average that the projection system gives them 270 is not bad, but I think I feel like that's kind of selling them potentially short. I think that could be the floor versus the ceiling because we've seen them hit for good averages in the past, you know? Yeah. So that's where I'm at with him, but that's going to do it. We're going to jump into these early round busts. And this again, just to reiterate our players that we don't think will return on investment for the most part. And we're focusing on inside the top 100 because I think identifying busts early on, are way more effective than identifying busts later on in drafts. And we're going to talk about early early draft values, believe it or not, next week with a special guest, which I will announce at a later time. Maybe you're listening to it, so we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But regardless, let's get into it. We're going to start from our fifth. We're going to go from fifth to first, essentially, that our least, like our least bust, whatever, to our biggest potential bust type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm really bad at explaining things. I hope people understand it. 
with that said, let's get to it. Who's your number five early round bust? Uh, so my number five guy, and, and this is just someone who I'm probably not going to have in too many of my teams. Um, and I'm not even sure too sure how I feel about having him here at number five. But my number five guy is Lance Lynn. Uh, he is going ADP of 61.76 so far uh, right now early on in NFBC. And we saw him have a fantastic season. I mean, he was he was awesome for, you know, everyone's pitching staffs and in the short season with all the innings, the strikeouts, the 3.32 uh, ERA. But, I mean, you look at the ERA indicators. I mean, he did have a 4.19 FIP, but 4.34 XFIP. I just really question you know, how long that ERA would have held up um, over the full season. And Lance Lynn, he's going to be 34 next year. And uh, I believe in May he turns 34. And it's just really hard for me to wrap my head around a 34-year-old pitcher who throws as many fastballs as he does. He relies so heavily on the fastballs. And he's right around 94 mile per hour. If that drops off even just a little bit down into the 93s, I, I think we're going to see some big time regression coming for Lance Lynn. And where he's going now at 61, you're some teams are are getting him as their ace. Uh, you know, he's their SP one or or your SP two. And for me, I I just I think there's a lot of risk there. And there's guys going around him that I'd rather have. Like I, I'd rather have Zach Plesac. I'd rather have Sonny Gray. Uh, I'd rather wait and take Carlos Carrasco. Uh, I think Zach Wheeler and Jose Barrios are guys going later that can give you similar production. Uh, I think they're both uh, projected to also, you know, throw 190 plus innings. Uh, so I think, you know, you're getting Lynn for the volume. And, and I, I don't think I have any doubts that he's going to give you volume. But I, I think he's going to be right around that four ERA. I, I don't see him as that 3.32 ERA guy. And when you're drafting him at pick 61, I think you're you're kind of hoping for that mid threes era and for me like i I, like i said like sunny gray he'll maybe he'll throw 20 25 fewer innings but he'll get just as many strikeouts and he'll have the better ratios um so for me yeah lance lynn uh, if if i now if i took like a pitcher in the first round say it took like a shane bieber garrett cole jake degrom someone who i know is going to have like a low threes uh, or even you know in the twos um era uh, then I, I don't mind having Lancelin as my SP2 if I'm getting him, uh, you know, six year later. If he's, you know, in that the 61.76. So if he's he's going in the 60s, if I see him there I, and he's my SP2 after I've taken a legit ace that I, I can trust, I don't mind that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. It, 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 might, it might come back to bite me. I might be completely wrong on this. And it might just, you know, I might just be overthinking it. But... For me, I just see how much he uses that fastball. And if there's even just a slight dip in the velo going into his age 34 season, I just think that has a lot of risk. I'm curious to see if he gets traded. He's entering that final year of his deal. I think that could be a very real possibility. And where he goes can really help or hurt his value as well. So that should be be something worth uh, paying attention to. Uh, My number five guy is a guy that's not popular on bust lists. And I'm really just... He's a bust right now for me because, again, there's 29 early drafts. That's 29 drafts that this player has been taking top 24 overall, and it's DJ LeMayhew. I am so scared that he's not going to be in New York next year. 
Yes, he has first base, second base, and third base eligibility. The floor is as high as it gets. I like him there. I'm good with him as a second round player, early third round player in for in all these for in any format if he's in New York. But if he is not, this is where I'm concerned. He only had um, only two home runs in 2020 for DJ LeMahieu had an exit velocity over 100 miles per hour with his hardest hit, uh, his hardest hit home run coming at 101.3 miles per hour, which is not very hard, basically. He has a, he had a ton of hard hit balls over 100 miles per hour, but only two of them were home runs. Since 2019, 27 of his 36 home runs have been at New York, and of those 27, 16 were hit to opposite field. And for him, opposite field is the short porch. So his hit tool plays up really well in the short porch of New York. Of New York. Also, we saw in 2020 a career low average launch angle of 20, of 2.3 degrees and a and a career low barrel rate, which he was never big. He's not a big barrel type of guy. He doesn't really depend on those for hits. But his barrel rate was an all time was a career low at 2.9 percent, and his ground ball rate shot up to 57.1 percent. I'm sorry, I don't see that sustaining that high bang average we saw is either over the short period. So if you know if say say the the some of that sticks, you know say some of the ground ball stuff sticks and he does leave New York. We saw him we're like, well, people are like, well, look, he's done so well in New York, so that floor has got to stick. Not necessarily. We saw him put put up 7 years in Colorado, which is arguably the best hitters park, just not for this guy's hit tool. And his career high was 15 prior to 2019 in Colorado with Colorado as a home park. So even if you give him his career high prior to leaving, you got to think there's probably going to be a little bit of a dip in runs and RBI production leaving the Yankees lineup. I don't care if you're going to another competitive team. It's hard to envision him getting the same runs plus RBI in any other lineup. So there's a little dip there, a little dip in the power. He goes from being a a fringe third, uh, you know, a second round or early third round pick to for me, like a six round pick because yeah, the floor is there, but we've seen the floor without New York. And that he was barely what? Remember, he would be like a like a hundred like pick around around pick one hundred to one twenty ish, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a couple years ago. So that's why for me, I'm calling him a bust right now because I think there's a true potential he doesn't end up in New York, especially if they're truly in the market for Lindor. If the Yankees get Lindor, then they have to, they're going to have to slide Lindor or Lemayhu or, or sorry, not Lemayhu. They have, they're going to have to slide Lindor or Torres over to second base. So if you have to move Torres or Lindor over the second base, that are they going to resign DJ LeMahieu to play third, maybe? But they have Rochella. They have Luke Voigt at first. It become and then they have Stanton stuck at DH because he can't stay healthy otherwise. That leaves little to no space for LeMahieu, even though I think he fits Yankee Stadium perfect. I think he's a great real life player. I just don't know if he's going to end up there this year. And if he if he does not end up there, these early drafters are really going to be kicking themselves in the butt. He won't be a, he won't be why you lose a league even if you draft early, but he goes from being that high floor takes a bit of a hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I I agree. And, and Lemayhu, I mean, he he's one of the most fun hitters to watch. Like you watch him, and he just controls the strike zone so well. He puts the ball the the bat on everything, and it just seems like he's gonna hit the ball to wherever he wants to on the field. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if he's not in Yankee Stadium, you have to question the power. And, you know, you're, you're picking him, you know, in the third round where you need to get him. You're kind of hoping he hits those, you know, 26 home runs that he hit in 2019. And uh, I just don't see it happening uh, anywhere else right now. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good call. I know Steamer has him for 19 home runs, seven steals, and a 293 average. I mean, g- give me Cattell Marte, you know, 60 picks later. 
So I, I, I'm with you. That's, I love that. That's honestly a great cop. I think that's exactly what Tom Marte is going to give you. If, But again, I don't. I just don't think – I think the floor is – that's like the floor if he stays in New York. Maybe the steals are kind of tough to ask, but the, like the power and all that other stuff is the floor for LeMahieu if he stays in New York. But if he leaves New York, then yeah, I'd rather sit back and wait for Catal Marte at that point as well. So yeah, because I think DJ LeMahieu – and well, actually, outside of New York, I think DJ LeMahieu doesn't offer the power upside Catal does. People don't believe in the Catal power. I'm still buying in. I think he had a – I think you know we talked about Max – Exit velocity being an indicator of power, and I think he had one of the ten hardest hit balls of 2020, or up or close to. He was one of the top ten before the playoffs, I think. So take that for what it's worth. Regardless, I digress. Who's your number four player, uh, number four bust on this list? So my number four guy that I will not have any shares of in 2021, going at ADP 30.66, is Clayton Kershaw. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I love Kershaw. I love watching him pitch. The skills, I mean, you know he's one of the best pitchers in the game. But for me, it comes down to the injuries. I don't know. You know, it kind of went under the radar. Yeah, maybe a lot of people didn't notice. But uh, Kershaw was supposed to pitch opening day for the Dodgers. Uh, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't pitch opening day for the Dodgers. Uh, that same day, he got scratched uh, with the back tightness. Um, made his debut a, a week later. And... And then again in the playoffs, uh, he also got scratched for one of his starts in the playoffs uh, due to his back. I believe it was his back for the playoffs. So, I, I mean, that's two times in the shortened season that the back flared up, you know, and that's been a problem for Kershaw. So, I mean, I just have my doubts that he's going to hold up over, you know, a full season steamer has him for 188 innings right now and for me it's just hard to see that happening uh so for kershaw there uh at, at pick 30 i mean i just i think i'd rather have uh castillo flaherty uh i'll take woodruff around later please act around later so for me uh kershaw is one of the guys that i'm avoiding man I hate to say that, but yeah i gotta agree a little bit i and i love kershaw he was really good but you're right. I kind of did forget about him dealing with injury and kind of having to work through it and then dealing with injury again. And it's easy to overlook that because of how good he was sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's going to matter a lot of um, – I don't want him to be my ace, but you kind of – I mean, he's going top 12 right now in terms of he's the 12th pitcher off the board in NFC drafts. You're taking him as your ace. And I agree. I think there's a level of concern to be had there because the back is a lingering thing for him at this point. We did see the increase in velocity, though, so that's encouraging. I guess I'm okay with the price, but I'm totally understanding of that. You have to kind of take that into consideration. But when you start looking at where Kershaw's going, I think there's that weird, there's a weird little gray area here because you have Kenta Maeda, who kind of has never really had the workload, even if Kershaw's had. You're hoping Zach Gallon has the workload, but we, are we sure? Like, what's his team context going to be like? What type of wins are we going to get? What type of run support? Brandon Woodruff, I really like him. I think he has a high safe floor. Blake Snell has his injury concerns. Tyler Glassnell always has injury concerns slash missing a third pitch. You see what I mean? The question marks continue to build behind him. Mm-hmm. So I have a hard, so I have a hard time not keeping him in that area above them. But yeah, it comes down to price. If I, I I'm okay with him as a third rounder, but I just don't know. Like in these drafts, he's going as a second rounder technically because they're 15, they're based around 15 team leagues essentially. 
I don't know. I think I'm okay with his draft price considering how weird pitcher gets right after him. Like that's where I'm at. It's kind of it's just weird. Like because now you're because we again. I mean, I feel like the most stable arm behind him is Kenta Maeda and Brandon Woodruff. So if you wanted to bump him behind, and maybe Gallons, if you wanted to bump Kershaw behind those three, I'd get that. But after that, and, and I guess there there comes the value. We're talking again. This this isn't saying that you don't believe in Kershaw. This is the the talks of value because. I'm saying how you could bump behind those three, and those three are all going uh, roughly 10 picks and uh, Maeda almost 15 picks later. So, yes, I understand where you're saying value. I should, I'm should. i over here defending him like you're saying he's going to be bad. You're just saying you don't like where he's going. And I yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Uh, for, for me, I'm saying that uh, it's just – it's too risky. It's there's too much risk, injury risk where he's going. You know, I pick at pick thirty, him going into his age thirty three season after you know he's been dealing with the the back issues for a few years now. Um, I mean, it, it flared up a couple of times, like I mentioned over the even over the short season. So, you know, what are the possibilities that turns into an IL stint here, another IL stint uh, there? You know, next season, you, we know the Dodgers have the depth. You know, they they got Dustin May. They have, you know, I'd love to see Josiah Gray come up next year. You know, maybe he gets a couple starts. Uh, Tony Gonsolin has to find a, a you know, they got to get Tony Gonsolin some innings. So, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of that Dodgeritis um, uh, combined with the the injury risk. Uh, so it's he's just too risky for me uh, to take there that early. I, I totally get it. And I'm talking about a guy taking early. I'm kind of afraid of Trevor Bauer this year. He's going 15th overall, the fourth pitcher off the board. And I know he changed up his pitch mix a little bit. I know he added increased spin to said pitches, legally or not. I'm not here to judge on that. Don't care. <laughs> um, but I'm looking – you try to look at some of these underlying stats, and he still gave up similar contact rates. He still gave up uh, – he still hit uh, pitch in the zone a similar amount. His O swing was pretty much in line with 2019 – um, Bauer's swing strike rate was a little, um, a little increased from 2019, but pretty much in line. My point is, is these changes don't feel like it's enough to sustain what he did over that short period over a full season. Don't get me wrong. K minus walk rate was fantastic. The best it's been since 2018 when he had that big year. So it's like, but it was a 36% strikeout rate. Even his best year was a 30.8% strikeout rate. And that was the year that, you know, he came off that fantastic year in 2018 and was, again, a draft day darling everyone loved. Maybe it's a part of recency bias of him hurting me. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. but And on top of that, I think another part for me is we don't know where he's pitching. What if he's one of those late signees and then comes into camp and just has a late start? And, when, and you know how pitchers are with late starts. It can turn into something that takes a while to get going into the season. Bauer is – and he's also a tinker. A tinkerer. He he had the Reds pitching staff and a guy he was familiar with, I believe, over there. And I think they were able to rein him in and kind of keep him to what his what he does. What if he goes back to like, well, a couple games of things not working, and next you know he tinkers his way out of being elite again. But I, this is with a caveat of if he gets to actually pitch every four games like he said he wanted to, then he's arguably the number one overall pick. So there is a way that I completely eat these words before the start of the season for sure. But as of right now, I just can't take that risk on him. And he's a bust until I can see him on a team and to see if he gets his wish of pitching every four days. Do you have any different thoughts on Bauer? 
No, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if he is indeed allowed to pitch every four days. I mean, because that's just going to, I mean, the strikeouts and, and win potential uh, probably going to make up, uh, you know, you you can you can kind of you can kind of pick up more down the line, like, um, you know, fill in some relievers uh, that'll help suppress, you know, any any um, ratio risk there that, that there that there might be. So that's going to be really interesting. Um I haven't really looked too much into Bauer yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like you said, he could be a tinker. We could see like a repeat of 2019 where, you know, go, after his 2018, he was looked at like as a top five guy. I, I saw him like as a top five guy and really disappointed in 2019 uh, yeah. after changing things up. So, uh, yeah, I could see that totally. I'm glad that we could be on the same page so much tonight, but it's kind of boring. I'm glad we at least disagreed on Kershaw a little bit. With that said, who's your number three guy? We're getting to the as we move up. This is a for you. It's a bigger bus potential. So let's see where we're going. Yeah. So my number three guy is Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson. Going <laughs> <at> <laughs> I laugh ADP. because we, before I'm laughing because prior to the show, I was like. I want to put him on this, but I don't know. There's just so many question marks of pitchers in this area. So tell me why I should have had him on my list, essentially. Yeah, it's funny. We we mentioned him off off the air, and um, <laughs> I I, re- I wanted to tell you so bad that he was on my list, but um, yeah. He's oh yeah, at- we should mention that. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but we don't know each other's lists, so I'm waiting. I'm surprised we haven't had a repeat customer yet. But yes, your list is a surprise to me. That's another reason why we're laughing. Yeah, we don't know each other's lists. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. So if we have if we have a similar player or, or a same player, that is why. Okay, as you were, sir. I apologize. Oh no, it's all good. So yeah, he's going at eighty-eight point eight three, man, and that's just that's way too high for me to take someone who has thirty-two innings in the major leagues. Uh, now he did he did, you know, extremely well in, in that short sample for the Braves last year. Uh, had a 1.95 ERA, 2.54 FIP, 3.45 XFIP. But, I mean, I, I think he really overperformed his strikeouts a bit. Um, so, I mean, he had a 29% strikeout rate, but only an 11.9% swinging strike rate. So for me, that just that just screams some regression there coming in the strikeout rate. On top of that, he still struggled with, with the command, a 10.1% walk rate. Uh, so I just think there's way too much risk to take Ian Anderson here. You're looking at him in like the sixth round of a 15-team league or seventh or eighth round in, in a 12-team league. So a lot of, it looks like a lot of people are taking him as their SP2, maybe their SP3 in shallower, shallower leagues. But for me, um, there is a lot to like about Ian Anderson, but there's way too much risk here. And I, I, I don't see that uh, him repeating you know what he was doing Um this last season, I, I think there's regression coming, and uh, it's just too much there for for me to take there at the ADP. I'm gonna have to agree. I just hate to have to fade the young upside arms, but going at like pick what 89, right? Yeah, that's, that's tough. That's really tough because if you want to take a gamble on upside arms, just take Sixto Sanchez, who I would argue has similar, if not more, upside going 20 picks later, and then, like, again, we talked about this. Al- Alcantara, Kevin Gaussman, uh, Frankie Montas is arguably one of the better values at starting pitcher. People were like, he was he was a fringe top 100 pick last year. Suddenly he's going around 150, and I'd rather have Montas over both these guys. Give me Grinky over over uh, Anderson. Maybe I'm, a little, maybe I'm a year late on Grinky. A part of me is willing to let that happen. Um, 
I don't know. I just maybe I have to reassess pitcher as a whole, and maybe I'll change my mind. Because pitcher, I'm not gonna lie, I've been so busy with the hitters, I haven't given enough love to pitchers yet. But just the early thoughts, it's like there's so much recency bias in this ADP. It's absurd. It's crazy to me. Yeah. I don't know. I think Ian Anderson can't be great. Don't get me wrong. I think he'd be really good. But I think what you're paying for him doesn't really allow you any wiggle room for him to struggle with his uh, coming into what will be likely his first real year and first full year as a starter at the major league level. And you have to remember, a lot of these players didn't have access to in-game tape. Like players like J.D. Martinez and stuff made that very like openly known. Like, hey, I'm having a hard time. Like, I need like that's part of his routine. He's not getting it. So, will these young pitchers who found success not find it? Did they bring back some of that stuff that the hitters had access to prior to uh, 2020? Right, right. So, yeah, and you have to consider also the the workload that they're going to put on these young guys uh, going into 2021. I mean. Uh, you know, with those 32 innings that Anderson threw last year, like how how many can you really project him for over a full season if we get a full season? But like I know Steamer has him for like 147. Uh, you could probably put Sixto right around the same. Like for me, yeah, I, I'd rather take guys like Pablo Lopez or uh, Kevin Gausman, uh, some other guys that you mentioned. So yeah, for, for me, this just this is way too rich to take uh, Ian Anderson. Yeah, can't agree more at this point. But my number three guy, no one should be surprised about this. Can you guess? If I if I gave you a guess, who would you say my number three guy is? He's a guy I've been pretty much fading for like two months already, and season's barely even over still. Oh man, um, he's a second baseman. Uh, Keston no. Hira. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man, he's my number three. Um, bust and that tells you a lot because that means there's two more people I'm even fading harder which is crazy because I'm fading Hira pretty hard and it comes down to the fact that I think he was just simply figured out this year he had the second worst swinging strike rate in in baseball in terms of I think um, uh, what's it called the the word oh my goodness Um, eligible players essentially players that played enough games to figure into this number the second worst swinging strike rate uh, with at twenty point four percent, he had the worst overall contact percentage. He saw less fastballs, more breaking balls, and off speed pitches this year, which I, which to me means pitchers adapted. And if you look back at twenty nineteen, he overperformed across the board on all of fastballs, breaking balls, and off speed. So that's my my point is is this kind of like he went from being lucky and overperforming in twenty nineteen to underperforming in twenty twenty. Or possibly pitchers figured him out and he kind of performed to expectations. Now, there is a prospect pedigree there. I think there's a chance for him to adjust for sure. I want to see it first. I'm not willing to pay the 67th overall pick for a guy that just came off a Rugnit or Odor type of season. And with two straight, with now nothing, with, let's see, I'm trying to think how to word this. He's had two seasons now that maybe combined into one full major league season, essentially, mm-hmm. but he's, he hasn't had under a 30% strikeout rate yet. And if you look at Rugnir Odor, like you think 30% strikeout rate. So you're thinking like a 220, 225 batting average with 30 home runs and double digit speed. Yes, that can happen. That's the problem though. I don't want, I don't want, like I can get the home, the home runs and steals elsewhere. I don't want to take the drag on the batting average. And it's just scary to see a guy struggle like that. Now, will he, Will he continue to struggle like that? 
Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think there's always a chance for the bounce back, but I want to see something. Does he come into swing training with a swing change? Does he come in with a different approach in terms of swinging or taking certain pitches? Does he, I think he was being attacked up in the zone and was struggling with that. Does he improve on that? Does he improve on that though? Like, can we see the stuff in spring training? Then I will change my tune. I am fine with that. That's why I have such an issue with his prices because I think you're still banking on him coming into like basically like while all this recency bias is affecting a lot of other players, he's not getting much recency bias tacked on him at all. I think, and it's aggravating because he. I mean. I don't know. I just don't see it. I, I, I can see a path to it, but not in 2021. I, I want to I see the strikeouts come down. I want to see the contact rate go up. I want to see these things and not have to pay what could be almost full freight for a guy that hasn't quite shown it at the major league level yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is tough because going into 2020, I was the hero guy, and you were the Albies guy. And turns out, I mean – Neither one of them really returned the value we were hoping they would, uh, but I think Albies sh- certainly showed, uh, you know, it, when he came back what, from injury. He came, yeah, he he was, was just he was a lot better. Yeah, he certainly showed what he's capable of. Whereas uh, Hira just really struggled. I mean, it's just you you have to look at the actual production, and and I I look at I want to go back to the minor leagues and say like you know he. You know, he was an excellent hitter in the minor leagues, did not strike out all that much, uh, hit over 300. The, the hit tool was one of his calling cards. And, uh, I mean, for him to come up and and have an over 30% strikeout rate now in the majors, and like you said, the 2019 was, was you know, you knew regression was coming. He wasn't going to have a 400 bat bib, uh, did strike out 30% of the time. So it, it is concerning. I still, like, I still want to believe that he's going to turn it around. Um, and you know the power is there. He still hit 13 home runs. Um, you, you know that when he does make contact, he hits the ball very hard. So um, I, I think there is going to be some room for him to – if he can improve the strikeouts a, a bit, I think that there's certainly a lot of room to improve that average uh, because of how hard he hits the ball. Um, so, yeah, uh, I haven't gotten any here yet. Um, not too sure that I will, but – He's certainly someone that I'm pulling for. No, I'm 100%. Pull, I'm never rooting against the guy. I'm just more or less, it goes back to the value. And it's similar to Vlad. I won't have a lot of Vlad shares because I want to see them do it first. Yeah. Not that, not that they can't. Not that they won't. It's that we haven't seen it yet. And you're passing on proven commodities to take a player based on upside. When at this point in the draft, that's an unnecessary risk to take. Let's take a let's take a look at some names going around where he's going. He I know he's going around sixty five. I'm still looking at overall pitchers. Let me go back to all positions. So he's going sixty fifth overall. That puts him. I rather have, I rather take a shot on Gleyber Torres going right around there. He's going right before him. Okay, Teoscar Hernandez or Keston Hira. Who would you rather have? Teoscar. Who would you rather have? Brandon Lau. Uh, now Lau has some playing time concerns for me too. Um, and he's kind of similar, uh, to Hira. So I think, I think for me, uh, I would still gamble on, on Keston. See, I'm going to take Brandon Lau and a lot of it's because we saw tremendous growth against lefties, but Brandon Lau is streaky. I will give you that, but we saw the growth against lefties. And if you look at the 2019 splits versus the 2020 splits, they had, he had the same amount of plate appearances against lefties with complete opposite numbers. So I think there's a happy me- medium there. 
But I think Brandon Lau can be what Keston here, what we're hoping Keston here can get to, essentially with the double digit steals, the big time power, but with a better batting average floor at this point for me. And Keston Hira, the interesting thing about him is people bank on the steals, but the guy hasn't been great in terms of success rate. I think in the last three seasons, if you look back at his minor league track record and the last three, he only had he only was above seventy percent in stolen bases one time, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to I couldn't find the stat. Uh, I couldn't find it again. I, I honestly am not going to do the math on the fly here, but I'm pretty sure it was like one time in the last three years has he been over 70% in stolen base attempts. So at what point do they say no more green light? That's what another, yeah. that's where I'm at with the concern. 55th percentile sprint speed. So it's not like the speed tool. It's, it's barely, it's like roughly, it's basically league average. But anyway, getting back to this little thing. So you, you still rather have Kahira over, uh, over Brandon Lyle. That's fine. What about Michael? What about Michael Conforto or Nick, Nick, Nick? I can't say his name. Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, and Keston Hira. Which rank those three for me? Um, Conforto, Hira, Castellanos. Okay. See, I rather have Castellanos. <laughs> um, I got to figure out who I'd rather. <laughs> fine. Jordan Alvarez or Keston Hira? Alvarez. For for me, I mean, I, I'm I'm passing on Hira in a lot of places just because, like, I, I'd rather fill my second base. Like his Hira's skill set, like you can get in a Conforto, you can get in a, a Jordan Alvarez, you can get in. Is it Jordan? Test. I'm sorry to interrupt again, man, but is it Jordan Alvarez? Because I remember him saying it. But then we had Luis Ro- uh, Robert come out and say, "Yeah, he was letting us say his name that way to make it easy." Is it Jordan Alvarez? I really want to. <laughs> I really just want to say his name right. I wa- I want to show these players respect. And I yeah. want to say their names right. I honestly don't know. I I don't know either. I just wish can can they just come out and and say it? I I don't know either. Maybe they have. I I, I wish I knew. Honestly, anyone listening, feel free to slide in our, my DMs, tag us on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin at Roto underscore Nino. Let us know how you pronounce it the proper way, or send us a link because we just want to say these names appropriately. We want to give these players the respect they deserve. But regardless, back to this. So Jordan Alvarez. My thing, obviously, that's a whole other issue with the injury and stuff like that. But it goes to show you that these guys, in my opinion, are in the same conversation, and they're going this—they're going about twenty picks apart. But there's also, I don't know, we can stop the Would you rather at this point? Because I can, I can keep doing this. My, I just, I just won't have here at this cost because I think I want him going about twenty picks later. If he was going in like the eighties, and don't get me wrong, he has a max pick right now of ninety-eight. I love that value. You give me, give me Keston Hira. In like that 80-ish range, I will take him. But at 68, that's a little rich for my blood because there's other players like like Javi Baez going after him. I rather have Javi Baez. Like I know positional eligibility matters, but just I rather take a, I rather either take some guys who have a track record that had a down year, or I, I or just that's pretty much it. I rather have those guys, or yeah, I rather I mean, attack I'd, pitching probably. Right. I, I'd rather I'd rather take the same skill set that. Uh, Kesson here is going to give me in a more bankable player like Michael Conforto and then just take Cattell Marte in, in like the next round, you know? So yeah, yeah. Kesson's a good one. I, That's why I've, I've been fading him <laughs> for so long and I'm just, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to bang that drum, but honestly, I told you I'm willing to change. I'm always willing to change my mindset on a player. If thing, if, we see him make these tangible changes in spring or, you know, reports are coming out that he's making changes to adapt to certain things. Then I will be all about this price and I will miss out on early shares, but I won't be completely shut up because I'm willing to adapt and I'll pay, I'll pay the price that's necessary when the time comes or if the time comes. All right, let's get back on track here. <laughs> um, Where are we at? You're on number three. 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, my number three was Anderson, so I'm going to go oh, ahead yeah, and go number two. my number two. There we go. Um, my number two guy is uh, going at pick 86.45 in uh, ADP is Eugenio Suarez at third base. So, Suarez for me, like, he was someone who I was fading going into 2020 uh, just because, like, I, I just saw so many red flags with the batting average. Like, I, I saw that batting average had big time like cratering potential because of how much he struck out uh in 2019 and how much he pulled the ball a a lot of pulled balls more fly balls a lot of strikeouts i thought i mean there's no way he's gonna hit 271 again uh sure enough he comes back and he strikes out even more 29 percent strikeout rate he pulls the ball even more 54 percent pull so like all those things that i didn't like to see from eugenio suarez like yeah sure pull the ball you're gonna get 49 home runs uh and i think his 2019 was it was fantastic 271 49 home runs but i i just thought like those those red flags for me just screamed like that that average was gonna come down big time and uh yeah i mean granted he did have a 214 babbit but he hit 202 he hit 202 in 2020 and yeah the those same concerns that i had um just i, I mean they they they're still there, you know. The strikeout rate, like I said, twenty nine percent. The pull rate, fifty four percent. I I just don't see that average coming back up to that two eighty, two seventy hitter that he was before. And so, like I I think he's like a thirty to thirty five home run and like two fifty hitter, which is nothing special these days. You can get that. Ronaldo Nunez. Right. Uh, much you can get that later. I mean, Steamer hasn't projected for 241, 35 home runs. Like, just wait a hundred picks and take a chance on Kyle Schwarber. I mean, uh, so I mean, uh, yeah, Suarez for me, he he's one that I am not gonna have anywhere at, at all in twenty twenty one. He's my number two bust. I honestly have nothing to say there. I'm not gonna try. I'm looking and you look at the players going around him. Give me Yoan Moncada, who's going after him ahead of him. At the same position, give me Austin Meadows on a bounce back. Give me Dominic Smith. Give me Kittel Marte for sure. Matt Olson, yes, please. These are all names I'd rather take a shot on. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who you know I'm not even the biggest fan of, but I, I'd rather get, take a shot on him over Suarez. And a lot of it's just based on the skill set I think Suarez brings to the table. And oh, these I other guys. Gurriel. I know you do. But you yeah. see, my, my point is, is I'm 100% on board with you. I think Suarez is going about at least 20 picks too high. He should be going closer to 100 than, than the mid-80s. Yeah, um, Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman's going at 115. Give me Matt Chapman all day. And again, it goes back to value because their skill sets are very much the same. Mm-hmm. Why is Will Myers, who we saw him turn it around this year, similar player with uh, with ups with a little more speed upside? Why is he going at 121 compared to Suarez with power and similar batting average with a, probably a higher batting average upside? But that's debatable. Regardless, we're talking about skill sets I think are similar with Will Myers adding an element of speed potential going literally, what, 50 picks later? So, yeah, we're, we're on the same page with Suarez. You're not going to hear any argument from me, but I said I wouldn't talk too much about that. So I'm going to move on to my number two. I'm going to keep it simple. I think you're going to be – it's going to be very – you're either in or out on this guy, Denelson Lamette. I am very out on Denelson Lamette. And a lot of it comes down to this. He threw – 53.4% sliders last year as a starting pitcher. I, <laughs> that is, don't get me wrong, it is the best pitch in baseball. 
it is not going to – he will always be good because of that. But I can't see him being this good over a full season and stay healthy throwing exactly. that many pitches. And he ended the season with an injury. It was that an arm is, injury too, right? Yes, his elbow. His elbow, That's right. you know, of all things. So y- you are 100% right. Um, I can't. <laughs> how can he sustain that? And how can he stay healthy and sustain that? It's uh, – I mean – Last year was, what, his first full year back from Tommy John? Um, well, I mean, full year in quotation, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I my list. <laughs> um, I, I'm glad you did. I, we don't have I, – I thought we were going to have the same people. We still have our number ones. But, um, yeah, Lamette's a good call. He's not going to be on any of my teams uh, as well. And people, there's very, very strong, like people like um, Deegs loves himself. And now that's a little bit of a homer in him because our boy Deegs <laughs> is a bit of a Padres fan. And I'm here to say we are not the Nelson Limit haters in terms of we don't think he's good. We I think he's a very solid pitcher, real life pitcher. The problem is, is it's and you can have you can be a two pitch pitcher. I just have a hard time believing in the health of a player throwing a slider 53 and a half percent of the time over a full season. So if he cuts back on that slider, I think that fastball becomes way more hittable all of a sudden, and then and he's throwing it more. He, if he could, if he develops that, if that sinker turns into anything, he threw he threw it almost ten percent of the time, but he obviously he would hit the zone a lot with it. I'm looking at the the heat maps. Um, yeah, if he could uh, develop a third pitch that's even decent, just something to take the strain off his arm, man, because that slider is going to literally tear his arm apart. I think I don't know. I'm I'm concerned, and a lot of it just comes down to injury and just his pitch utilization. Like he has a reliever, he has a reliever pitch utilization, but he's expected to pitch 150 plus innings. I have a hard time buying into that, and that's the only reason why I'm out. I'm not doubting the skill anymore. I'm doubting the health. Yeah. And anybody who ended, and if you have questions about elbow injuries that ended, you know, the season before, look at guys like Chris Sale. Look at guys like uh, Justin Verlander who tried to come back and pitch through it. He hurt himself in spring training or something like that. But you know what I mean. Um, I'm trying, there's other examples of guys hurting themselves at the end of the season, not getting it fixed, trying to, you know, do, and then suddenly they reaggravates itself in spring training or in the early part of the season. And then you're, and then you're done with them for the season. Avoid the injury risk. You know, who would be very proud is Dave at run DMCD. And he is the high stakes heat podcast. Okay. Yeah. He's very big on injury stuff, period. And he'd be very, very proud of me for being very, don't take this guy because of injury <laughs> issues. I definitely factor it more into my early picks now more than ever with how we've seen players going down more now than ever, it feels like. But anyway, number one, <laughs> it's we're about an hour into the podcast. Let's get through our number ones here. Who I know you mentioned you kind of have a couple. It's like a grouping of players or something. You gave me right. a little <laughs> So I mentioned that I was going to kind of cheat for my number one. And I really just kind of thought about this after having a conversation with Dave. Um, and <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> yeah, uh, with Dave and a couple other guys. I, I've, I've been doing these um, these mock drafts with the Roto Fanatic crew. I was invited to, to do some mocks with them. Uh, Dave is in there as well. Full and, circle um, with the yeah. fanatic. Yeah, and Deegs is in there. Is in there too. <laughs> we, we, so <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned those two because uh, we were actually having this conversation uh, in the mock draft uh, group chat on Twitter, and it was about roster construction. And it was about you know player evaluation versus roster construction, and and sometimes 
we forget that like at the end of the day like our main goal is to try to get the stats that we need to win in the most efficient way possible um and so uh we were kind of just talking about like who we would take like at the top of the draft like Acuna or Tatis and uh like me like I I sided with Tatis and a lot of that comes from so to, to get to the guys that I'm avoiding it's basically any shortstop after Tim Anderson, um, and I- I'm putting Glaber Torres, Javier Baez, and even like Dansby Swanson, who's like right there at the cusp of the top 100. Um, I- I'm not taking any of those shortstops. Like you can look at Glaber Torres and say like, oh, this dude's a stud. Like he's he's gonna go off in New York. He's gonna be great. Okay, that that's awesome. Like he might do that, and that'll be great. Or Javier Baez is gonna bounce back. I mean, that's great too. You know, I, if they do, awesome. But um, you look at the top end of the shortstops. You look at Tatis. You look at uh, Bo Bichette, Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, Trey Turner. Those guys. These, these are guys who are going at least 20-20, 30-20. A guy like Tatis can go, you know, 40-30. Trey Turner could still 50 bases. Like you're getting so much more value at the top of shortstop from the stolen bases that the skill set that these guys like Glaber Torres and Javi Baez and Dansby Swanson are going to give you, you're much better off getting that skill set from another position like outfield in those ranges. Like you, I look at shortstop and I look at where guys like Glaber Torres, Javi Baez and Dansby Swanson are going. And I would much rather have, I, I can get that same skill set from the outfield in guys like Michael Conforto and Lourdes, Lourdes Gurriel. I'm a huge Lourdes Gurriel guy. So, uh, or even like uh, Austin Meadows. And so for me, like you have five outfield spots to fill. So if you're going to wait on a shortstop and take someone like Glaber Torres or Javi Baez or Danzi Swanson, I mean, you're kind of limiting the, the profit potential from that roster position. You know, where you can just get those those same stats from the outfield um, later. So if I can pick, if I can fill my shortstop position in the first three rounds, which I'm trying to do in every single draft, once I get past Tim Anderson, like, I might as well just wait, get those get those outfielders and wait and get like a Marcus Simeon or Tommy Edmond, like in, around pick 140. Um, so for me, it's just kind of a philosophy thing uh, as when, when it comes to roster construction is I, I want to get those those five category production shortstops at the top of the draft. Um, so if I can get a Tatis or a Bichette or Story or a Turner, one of those guys, and I'm probably even out on Corey Seager too. As much as I love Corey Seager, like give me, if I can get like a Tatis and Eloy Jimenez in the third, I'd much rather have that than like a Ronald Acuna and then a Corey Seager, you know, so, something like that. Um, or you can even go Kyle Tucker in the third. There's just there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. But for me, I want one of those top guys at the shortstop position within those first three rounds. So sorry, that was kind of long-winded and I kind of cheated. But <laughs> yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to have like another talking point and kind of bring some some roster construction into this. Well, I'm going to go ahead and transition to my last guy but i just i I have nothing out of that i like i love roster construction i love what you did there to bring that up and you gave some examples of targets and stuff so you didn't you cheated ish i'll give you a pass it was good information i love i love talking roster construction because i think almost like almost like real life baseball you know how like baseball's transitioned to more of like obp versus batting average in real life aspect well i think fantasy is kind of transitioning from 
just looking at like raw numbers and stats to more of an analytical game, more of a roster construction game. I think it's becoming more it's becoming more like chess every day. And I think this stuff needs to be reiterated and really drove home. So I think you did that, which is very, very important. So I almost feel bad. I have to follow that up. I wish I went first, <laughs> but I'm going to give one player because I didn't cheat, but that's Ray's Randy Rosarena. And he's such a polarizing player and for right, for the right reasons in 2017, if you combine high A and double A, he put up 11 home runs, 18 stolen bases with a 266 average in 2018 between double A and triple A, 12 home runs, 26 stolen bases, hit 274 2019 three stops put up 16 home runs at 19 stolen bases hit 341 in 2020 in just 23 games he put up seven home runs four stolen bases hit 281 and this was after coming back from covid and gaining what 20 pounds or sorry 15 pounds of muscle in quarantine and that, that was by doing push-ups eating chicken and rice i believe he's turning 26 in 2021 and obviously, we know the historic postseason run at this point. <laughs> like, it was amazing. He broke records. Like, he had the most home runs in the postseason. And I think the most hits for a rookie and a couple other uh, home, uh, a couple other records. With that said, he's, he's he might have some legal issues that could lead to suspension. We don't know that yet. And we're talking such a limited MLB track record. Pitchers haven't had a chance to adapt to him yet. And you have to spend a top 55 pick on him right now. I can't get behind that price. But here's the thing. If he falls because of the possible legal issues, and we have seen him right now, his min pick is 36. That is the third round of a 15-teamer and what? And a late third round in a 12-teamer. And But his max pick of 100, give me him around pick eight. We, I think I knew I talked about this a little bit off the air, but around pick 80 to 85, I, I love him there. But I can't take him at pick 54. I don't think there's any potential value there because I think he's going to be coming into what I would consider his true rookie season. Pitchers are going to have a chance to watch tape and really adapt. And although the raw tools are there in terms of power and speed, I just think that there's a lot of chance for growing pains with just like any other young player. And it wasn't like Rosario was a top prospect. He was, you know, he's just a guy the Rays know how to develop and he looks really good. But if he struggles, the Rays are also the Rays. So I think the Rays will, will, play with his playing time they also have guys like brandon lather they might look to squeeze into the outfield with wander franco coming up and and brujan coming up they have they have josh lau or jo i think it's josh Lowe. i think it's nate lowe's brother they have him who plays the outfield in the middle infield, i believe in the minor leagues who's ready to come up anytime soon so they have all these young guys i know they're looking to move Kiermeyer, but they still have margot who played really well there's always a lot of moving pieces with the rays and that's my concern so although yes other players on the Rays have playing time concerns that shouldn't mean a Rosarena suddenly doesn't when if especially if he struggles out the gate or struggles for a period of time at any point. So that's really where my concern comes from. And I'm off I'm off my soapbox at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um we we kind of talked about Rosarena before we got on and, and we're kind of just in the in the same boat with him. He's just going a little too early. Um we'll see if, if he falls, you know, with the news of, of um you know, any potential discipline, but where he's going right now, yeah, it's a little bit too rich for me as well. Um, just, just because of, of the track record. Yeah. And that's going to do it. So we should reiterate our busts real quick and we can get on out of here shortly. Um, real quick, your five busts were. So my five guys were Lance Lynn, uh, Clayton Kershaw, Ian Anderson, 
Eugenio Suarez, and all the shortstops after Tim Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's so awesome. But you gave good draft philosophy with it. My five busts were in order from least worried to most worried, essentially, is DJ LeMayhew. Again, caveat that he doesn't sign. This is only if he doesn't sign in New York. Trevor Bauer. Again, a lot of that depends on where he signs, but you're paying the premium right now before knowing, and that concerns me. Um, Keston Hira, which we know at this point, I'm just not going to have a lot of shares of. Uh, Denelson Lamette and R- Randy Rosarena. Again, we have to see what happens with his uh, with his legal issues. But that's going to do it for episode 129, guys. We appreciate all of you who support us and are listening. If you could hit that five-star rating review on the way out, and well, five-star rating and drop a review would be greatly appreciated, but not necessary. A five-star rating really does help us, though. George, anything you have work, uh, work you're working on in terms of writing or anything, or you're just getting back into draft draft prep and for podcasting again, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I'm just just now um, really getting back into the swing of things here with with baseball, ramping up my draft prep and my research for for 2021. So yeah, I'm gonna get writing here soon. Uh, start getting some articles out. For for me, like I all my football fantasy football teams are like trash now. So and I mean, the NFL is just has just been such a joke um, with the whole yeah. COVID stuff. So I'm like, okay, moving on. Let's get ready for baseball 2021. So let's go. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. I mean, I haven't really stopped, but I'm ready to get back into the full swing of things. I'm working on the SP streamer draft kit. I'm writing too many players, but the whole offensive side of it. So if you like what I do, if you like my work, check out that draft kit. We'll be put, it'll be out for pre-sale soon. Other than that, we appreciate your support. We truly do. Thank you for giving us a listen during what's coming down to the end of the year already, man. 2020 is almost over. Yeah, talk to you soon. <laughs>